everyone, welcome to the Rivers Virtual Sunday Service. My name is Allison and I am the assistant pastor here. We are currently in a sermon series called Understanding the Bible Through Jesus. We're going through the Bible and reading the stories through the lens of God's unconditional agape love. Today, we're going to take a look at the story of Noah and the flood in Genesis 6 through 9. If you've read this text before, you may have found it to be a little bit confusing. One reason for that is because when this story was put into the Bible, two versions of the narrative with conflicting details were combined and woven together. For example, did the flood last 40 days, like it says in 717, or 150 days, like it says in 724? Did God instruct Noah to bring pairs of animals, like it says in 619, or one pair of the unclean and seven pairs of the clean, like it says in 7.2? Confusing, right? The details differ, but there are some main points to the story that are consistent. First, God became unhappy with the state of creation. Genesis 6, 11 through 13 says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Then God instructed Noah to build an ark for his family and for the animals of the world. Noah followed God's specific instructions for how to build the ark and was prepared when God sent a flood that filled the entire earth. Noah, his family, and the animals survived the flood. And when the waters receded, they reached land where they were commanded to be fruitful and multiply and care for the earth. The story ends with God making a covenant with Noah and his descendants. Genesis 9, 8 through 13 says, Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. This is quite a story, and it's one that brings up a lot of questions. For example, how did creation become so corrupt that it had to be destroyed? Did all of humanity, except for Noah and his family, really deserve to die? Couldn't God have addressed the problem in another way? Is this what God is really like? 
Peter Enns, a biblical scholar and theologian, offers some helpful advice for how to approach this passage. He says, rather than trying to explain why God would do such and such, it is more fruitful to ponder what this story tells us about Israel's understanding of God. Like with all biblical stories, the flood narrative gives us insight into what the authors of the story thought God was like. And like with all people, the ancient Israelites' understanding of God was shaped by the culture they lived in. One reason we know that the flood narrative was shaped by its larger cultural context is because it shares remarkable similarities to other, even older, flood narratives from the Mesopotamian region, like the Atrahasis epic and the Gilgamesh epic. Was Noah's story consciously modeled after these older narratives? It's possible, we don't know for sure. <clears throat> Regardless, the authors of these various flood stories were swimming in similar cultural waters. Waters where it was not unusual to think of God as one who might enact divine punishment. Many scholars have pointed out that this type of worldview may have developed in the wake of a real life traumatic event, such as a devastating flood. Suffering and trauma often lead us to ask questions like, why did this happen? And what did I or we do to deserve this? As we seek to make sense of what we've experienced. And sometimes we answer these questions by blaming ourselves. Self-blame is an incredibly common way of coping with suffering, especially forms of trauma. By blaming ourselves, we regain some sense of control in response to situations where we feel helpless. It may have been easier for these ancient people to blame a devastating flood on their own perceived corruption, to view it as an act of punishment by God, rather than to face their own vulnerability to natural disaster. So what do we do with this ancient understanding of God? Should we just throw this story out altogether? Instead of doing that, I would suggest that we look to the story for truths about God that are consistent with Jesus's unconditional agape love. In order to dive into some of those deeper truths, we need to take a look at how the flood story relates to the earlier chapters of Genesis in particular, the creation narratives. We often think of creation as a one-time event when God created the heavens and the earth, plants and animals, Adam and Eve. But in the flood story, we see God continue to un and recreate. In the Genesis 1 seven-day creation account, God creates habitable land for plants, animals, and humans to live. God does this by separating the waters from the waters and by creating a dome-like firmament called the sky to keep the waters of chaos at bay. The cover of the 1534 Luther Bible depicts the world as described by Genesis 1 like this. 
You can see the chaos waters in the outermost circle being held back by the sky. In the flood story, it is the chaos waters, not ordinary rain, that are unleashed to cause the flood. Genesis 7:11 says, the windows of the heavens were opened. Imagine holes being punctured into the dome-like firmament called the sky and water gushing through the openings to the earth below. Through the flood, God returned creation back to its original state of chaos and then started over again with a new Adam, Noah. In this act, we see that God is committed to an ongoing process of creation. To me, this is an incredibly hopeful takeaway. God did not just create people and plants and animals and leave them to their own devices. God did not and does not allow humanity to remain stuck in a state of corruption. Instead, God is committed to being actively involved in the world, to working with people to make it better. This is a theme we see carried into the New Testament. Again and again, we see Jesus and later the Holy Spirit bring transformation and new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. As we connect with Jesus, we are transformed into something new, a new creation. This is not a one-time event, but an ongoing process of renewal, healing, and growth. The Bible tells us that the heavens and the earth themselves are also in the process of being recreated into something new. 2 Peter 3.13 says, But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth, where righteousness is at home. The book of Revelation describes these new heavens and new earth as a place where God and God's people will dwell together, where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain because all things have been made new. God's creative power is continually at work in us as individuals and in the world around us, moving us closer and closer to this reality. That encourages me because it means that this is not the end of the story. It is so easy to look at the world around us, see all that is broken, become disheartened and believe that there is nothing worth saving. It is easy to think, wouldn't it be easier to just wipe everything out and start over? We can sometimes feel this way about our individual lives as well. But God is not done yet. God is still making things new. And we can partner with God as co-creators to help move things forward. A number of years ago, I had the opportunity to visit Taiwan for a friend's wedding. One day during the trip, we went to the National Palace Museum in Taipei. 
After touring most of the museum, we finally had a chance to see their most famous piece, the jadeite cabbage. As we looked, the tour guide told us a story about the sculpture. The figure was carved from a single piece of half white, half green jadeite. Most sculptors thought that the piece of jadeite was worthless and unfit for sculpture because it contained numerous imperfections such as cracks and discolored blotches. But the unknown sculptor was not deterred. The apparent flaws were incorporated into the sculpture and became the veins in the cabbage's stalks and leaves. As we listened, I felt like God was speaking to me. I felt like God was saying something like, I am like this sculptor. God does not reject us or discard us for our flaws. Instead, God finds a way to work with them to transform them into beautiful works of art. What might it mean for us to see the world the way that God sees it? To see value in what others deem worthless. To acknowledge flaws, but also believe in the possibility of redemption. I pray that God can give us this kind of vision. There is a moment in the flood story when the authors seem to transcend their ancient cultural perspective on God. We see this in the way the story ends with a new covenant between God and God's people. God promises to never use a flood to destroy humanity again. God commits to try again and again and again with Noah's descendants, no matter how imperfect they may be. This is the character of God, unconditional agape love. God promises to never abandon or forsake us and to instead love and accept us as we are while also helping us to transform and heal and grow. I pray that this week we will be reminded of God's unconditional love for us. And in case we forget, God gave us a symbol to remind us, a rainbow. If you are interested in discussing this sermon together, please join our sermon discussion group during our Zoom service. The service starts at 11 a.m. Eastern time and the discussion group kicks off around 11.45. I hope to see you soon and have a wonderful week. Thank you.